You are listening to Talks for Change, a podcast series which aims to share innovative ideas that inspire across various disciplines whilst celebrating achievements and ideas from Curtin University's Young Alumni community. This podcast, along with the Young Alumni program, is really special because it's for young alumni by young alumni. We hope you enjoy this month's episode. Hey there, my name is Kat Penno and I'm excited to be hosting this month's episodes of Talks for Change. I'm the Programs Coordinator for the Young Alumni Advisory Board, Aka the Yarb, and was a Curtin graduate many moons ago. Since leaving Curtin, I founded my own startup, worked with a few technology companies in Australia, and I've been lucky to meet some extraordinary people along the way, like the graduate you'll be hearing from in a moment. Our special guest today is Nick Macy. Nick graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Occupational Therapy from Curtin. He is a social entrepreneur, community builder, values-based leader, and all-round great community builder. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thanks, Kat. Nick, this year will mark 10 years since your graduation from Curtin as an OT. Can you tell us a little bit about the last 10 years and what that has looked like for you? Certainly. I mean, I feel like I had a really exciting launch out of uni because I'd been working with a group, really a group of friends, uh, to launch Befriend, uh, the organisation that I'm sure we'll talk more about in a moment, oh, yeah. when I was in my final year of studies. So a big part of the last 10 years has been uh, actually kind of nurturing Befriend to, you know, from its really early infancy stages mm-hmm. uh, to grow and develop as a, as a social enterprise uh, and look at how we can nurture a sense of connectedness in the lives of more people in Perth. Yes. Um, I'm a I'm Perth local. I'm from Perth. I love Perth. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in different parts of the world, but Perth always feels very much like home to me. Okay, great, yes. And so I definitely have a, a really strong sort of instilled sense of uh, nurturing community in this particular place. So uh, outside, I guess inside and outside my life with Befriend, mm-hmm. a lot of my experiences are doing just that. It's kind of nurturing community within my family, um, within the area that I live in, in Leaderville, mm-hmm. uh, within the different communities that I'm part of through mindfulness meditation and sport and animal groups and sustainability and through the community development space with Befriend. Excellent. So um, let's go all the way back to your uni years. I, I didn't realise that Befriend was sort of cultivated there. So it sounds like from what you said that just before you left uni, maybe you and a couple of mates in the last couple of years were thinking, yeah, we're going to be OTs, but at the same time, let's also start this community organisation. Am I going down the right track? So there's a couple of you from uni, you're leaving thinking, yep, we're going to be be graduate OTs, which is going to be great. And at the same time, you're starting an organisation on the side. Uh, Yes and no. Okay, Uh, yeah. Tell us a bit about that. Well, I think first of all, to be totally honest, we never had any real intentions of launching an organisation mm-hmm. at that particular point in time. Mm-hmm. So Befriend, in its very early form, really just started as a group of us that were having conversations with each other about the experience of loneliness and social isolation and social exclusion that was experienced by some of the people that we that we connected with through the course. Okay, yes. um, you know, the OT course was fantastic in that it gave lots of really great practical experiences to spend time 
uh, getting to know people in community mm -hmm. that experience a whole range of different challenges to living a meaningful, enjoyable life. So, you know, we had different assignments or fieldwork projects where we would actually get to really understand people and their goals for living a good life. And for me, I mean, I, I spoke with so many people where I just heard such strong themes of connection and belonging that came through when they talked about what, what made a good life for them mm -hmm. uh, and what was really lacking right now. So, so hang on, this is still 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it was probably um, just our curiosity and our initiative to, to say, hey, this, is, this was the conversation that I had with this, you know, this young guy that I met. Mm -hmm. um, or this person that I'd been spending time with on field work or this person that I'd met through the volunteering that I was doing. Um, and life's pretty lonely and that sucks, you know, and I think that got us also reflecting on our own experiences of loneliness and disconnection and talking about that too and just deciding that we wanted to do something about that. We didn't necessarily know quite what that something would be right mm -hmm. at the start, but I think we just really came together because we had a shared passion for connection yes and uh, we had had our own personal experiences and we'd met other people who were feeling quite disconnected and wanted to do something about that so in those early days what sort of technologies or platforms or avenues were you utilizing to help uh, say connect people together because I guess at the base your purpose from the beginning is to connect people and build that community right in its most basic format and since then it's evolved and we'll talk about that in a moment but what were you doing in those beginning say for a couple of years to help really build community connections and get people to connect with each other right from the get-go uh, one of the strongest messages that we heard from people that were from diverse backgrounds or had diverse abilities mm -hmm. um, or were just simply a little bit more isolated than that, what they would like to be was that they felt like they didn't have places to go to meet new people and mm -hmm. develop new friendships and relationships. So the earliest thing that we started doing was just hosting small social gatherings that were really welcoming and inclusive for people of all ages, all backgrounds, all walks of life, uh, just as really easy, um, welcoming spaces to just show up, um, meet some people that also had that same intention about developing new friendships mm -hmm. and to see what grew from there. How do you make events? I mean, I work in, I guess, in the inclusivity and accessibility state, uh, area as well. I'm an audiologist, so I work with people with a lot of hearing impairment and hearing loss or communication um, difficulties. But when you use those words and say you hire a hall, you go to the, the local library and say, can we use one of your conference rooms? And those buildings usually have no problems. How do you then market your event to say everyone's welcome? I guess, how do you get people over that barrier when they're feeling socially isolated and then it can become this mental game for them? How do you get them to come along? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's one that I wouldn't say that we have all the answers to, but that mm -hmm. one that we've just simply been working on quite intentionally and mm -hmm. actively. I think a lot of it is to do with the, the images that we present um, that create expectations about what that experience might look like even mm -hmm. before you go along for the first time. Because we know that walking in cold to something new, like mm -hmm. a new environment for the first time, can be really daunting, particularly if you're coming along by yourself and particularly yes. if you're, you're yes. making yourself vulnerable by saying, I want to make some new friends yes. uh, or I don't know that many people here, I want to build my network. So I guess with our communications, we've really just tried to normalise that experience, mm. that it's natural for 
um, all people at different points of their life to want to be really intentional about developing new friendships and building their network. We try to use a lot of imagery that's really bright and colorful and it looks kind of fun and warm and enticing. Um, try to make those, those images look like experiences that, that are just very everyday social experiences rather than looking like a social program mm-hmm. or a social yes. service. Yeah, so it doesn't agree. kind of stigmatize it as like a, almost a self-help group for mm-hmm. lonely people where we, we really try to work quite actively against anything that might convey that sort yes. of perception. When, when I look at your website and your social media posts and whatnot, that's, that's a really great point you raise. That's the feeling I get that it is um, quite different from groups that might be more um, using different sort of imagery to you uh, to, to what you guys at Befriend are using to get people to come along because I felt uh, your website was quite modern and welcoming and young and fresh for everybody to come along. Is that the feedback you usually get? It's an evolving process, I suppose. That's right. We're always learning and I think we're always learning more about, you know, different people's experiences about uh, being marginalised, very Mm -hmm. disconnected and considering what are the different barriers that we can break down to support people to get involved. Uh, One of the other really important strategies for us is being really intentional about extending the invitation. We know that there are uh, a range of different reasons why someone may be at a greater likelihood of experiencing social isolation. Mm -hmm. Perhaps they live with a disability, perhaps they have a history of mental health experiences, perhaps they're an international student, they're new to Perth, Mm -hmm. maybe they've come out of a long-term relationship or they're transitioning into retirement. The more that we understand about all of these different reasons why Mm. someone might have very few people in their life right now, the more intentional that we can be in reaching out to different channels that are connecting with those groups of people um, and extending the invitation um, is the phrase that we commonly use. And particularly when that's people from marginalised backgrounds that may often feel um, unwelcome in a Mm. whole range of different mainstream social settings, we're being quite intentional with you know, showing up to different networking events or team meetings or groups of, um, and just having a little bit of a conversation about things that are happening through neighbourhood and community networks in their local area mm-hmm. and, uh, I guess, exploring the different ways that people might be able to get involved. My mind is really racing because I deal a lot with social, social isolation and, and more, I suppose, um, across a variety of range ranges. I suppose when people hear about hearing loss, they straight away visualize the elderly population but anyone at any stage can be impacted by certain hearing losses and it's a, it's a growing number of people so I thought it was really interesting when you sort of did what in my head I would call almost like persona prototyping anyone can be impacted by social isolation at any stage and I think um in my age range of friends like you could be in a long-term relationship and then come out of it and yes I've seen some of my friends go actually I don't really know how to meet new people. And yes, there's all these great social apps out there and dating apps, but even then it's quite confronting once you've gone past the digital stage to then come and meet someone face-to-face because in, even though you might have had an online conversation, you're still faced with, okay, now we're going to have to have the real face-to-face person conversation. And that's why I'm always interested in, I suppose, um, what you guys are doing at BeFriend because you've got, that digital aspect which is nice but then when you do come to the physical aspect the real world situation how is that gap bridged which will lead to my next question or it might it might help answer it human-centered design is is an area that i'm quite curious about how have design processes played a role in befriends work you're actually making me reflect on some of the ways that we try to build capacity in people to create these sort of environments and i actually think that 
a lot of our work really comes back to the values that we have. When we're, I think one approach is to be really intentional about, say, designing a social experience. So what might that experience look like at an event, a social networking event that's come, that someone's coming along to for the first time? And you know, definitely some of what our work has, has gone in that direction. We've tried to apply different, uh, more design-based processes to designing whatever the experience is like that may result in connection or greater sense of connectedness for a person. But actually, a lot of our work has really been engaging in conversations with local residents who are now the ones that are creating these experiences. Mm -hmm. And we're having those conversations from a values-based grounding. So inclusion is one of our really strong values. So if a local resident is looking at, say, starting a book club as a way of connecting some people in their local area, Mm -hmm. and we're providing some light touch support to them in order to do that, then part of that conversation, instead of having that really structured design process, part of the conversation with that with that particular person has simply been, um, what might you do to really think through how this might be a really welcoming, inclusive experience for anybody that comes along? And I think asking those really open-ended questions, but questions that have a really strong values base that mm. they're grounded in, it really respects the capability of the people that are running those experiences to think critically about how they might take action, how they might be really intentional about bringing certain types of values to life in the experience they create, rather than us prescribing a very set mm-hmm. way that they need to do that. So, because I was also looking at your website, um, and what I really liked is that, say, for example, you could look at a map and then zoom in on an area and click on that, like a drop pinpoint, and it would say today nick's meeting up at ten thirty, and i think you called it was a facilitator hosts a host so how do you go about sharing the information and knowledge to to hosts because i suppose anybody can be a host is that right that's right yeah i would say like if we kind of pair it all back really at our root Mm. what befriend is is a platform to mobilize more people to Mm -hmm. take action with intention to nurture connection in the lives of people around them. Mm -hmm. And often that's through the experiences that they create in local communities, like starting up a book club or a bike bike club or just a a coffee group at a local cafe, um, starting up a community garden, um, running a community kitchen, all of these different ways that people might take action locally to Mm -hmm. connect people in their local area. And we're really just a support base to help bring that to life. Yeah, great. So a lot of the, although we definitely use technology as a platform to support those people to reach more people uh, in the way that they extend the invitation, a lot of our work is actually on the ground in local communities, Mm face-to-face, running sessions with groups of local residents that uh, are either taking action of this form and looking at how we might further support them yes or it's trying to activate people to think about how they might take on a role like this as a volunteer in their local community so do you have because that's an interesting thing you use that word activate but you, we might be thinking on different paths here so are you looking at some data that shows that there's certain suburbs around Perth or WA that people are report that they feel more socially isolated or depressed or it could be any number of things that are making them not feel connected to people are you looking at certain data points as well to help you go okay let's tackle these uh, suburbs or areas that are a little bit more say the hot spots where they might need more support I suppose is that how you're looking at really establishing befriend in those sort of areas or communities 
Absolutely. And we have a really strong partnership-based approach. So mm -hmm. typically, we'd be working in partnership with the local government authority um, and other community organisations that provide direct services and supports to people in those local communities. Uh, and often it's through those partnerships and those collaborations that we would end up establishing a community building project mm -hmm. in a particular locality. Mm. So right now we have community builders in different pockets of the Perth metro area, uh, the Armadale Gosnells area, a couple down in the Quinana Ancotel area, up in the, the northern growth corridor from Merowa to Yanship, mm -hmm. um, out in the Swan area, the northeast growth corridor too. Uh, and we look at how those community builders can be a local resource to really activate, mobilise, engage and support local residents living in those communities yes. to be the ones that are taking action locally to develop these networks in local communities. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's a really great idea. And I suppose as, as you guys um, come in and help facilitate the events or impart your knowledge, you'll have this new data set as well that will help go, okay, have we... I know, you can correct me wrong here. Are you are, we, are you reducing some of that social isolation? I don't know what you would use to measure that. Or are you reducing some of... Uh, that that level of depression in the, in some individuals the community because I guess what you don't want it and again not sure if this is right but you don't want it to be like if you want to come to a be friend event here take our psychological assessment and then mm. here's your depression scale now and then after you've come to a few do you know what I mean so like it's it's a really interesting topic to me because I can see your the bigger picture with what you want to do with BeFriend and I've got, I guess, my own perceptions of where I could see it going and being in the healthcare sector as well or from that background and how we've got these bigger community problems in, in regards to social isolations um, in the ageing population and then people who may have come out of relationships or long-term um, employment. How do you get all these different demographics to come and be engaged and then your, your data that you might be collecting is quite unique as well because I suppose there's not many organisations that I'm currently aware of that are doing... I mean, there's one or two other ones that I'm aware of doing something similar but not exactly what you guys are trying to do. I suppose where do you see BeFriend going in the near future or the next five to ten years? Yeah, it's a very interesting space. I guess we, we would see that whole frame around how we approach our work is probably uh, within more of a f philosophy around active citizenship. Mm -hmm. So the general state of affairs that we see is that people are needing more and more support to live good lives. And there's only so much support um, that can come from a formal system. The, the weight of support in terms of both the social and financial costs of relying on formal systems, formal services of support mm -hmm. to meet our well-being needs is just something that our society can't cope with. So we really do need to rely on the power of citizens, people who live in our community who support us with how we live a great life, um, mm -hmm. people who are willing to take responsibility for the well-being of their local community. So I think what we're, what we're doing from a philosophical standpoint is really trying to instill that sense of responsibility that all people have to act for the well-being of their local community. Mm -hmm. We're just really applying that within the context of social connection because we know that that's a, uh, it's a really core need in our community and it's also one of the primary ways that someone can take action as a local resident um, in ways that are really fun, easily accessible. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a low barrier to entry to yep. start engaging in some sort of way of reaching out to and building relationships with people in your local area. Even if what that looks like for you is, you know, taking all the lemons off your back tree and leaving them in a basket out the front mm -hmm. saying, 
take some, they're free. Yeah. Or it's, you know, cooking an extra meal for the older lady that lives up the road and dropping that off to her. Or it's going up to the, the migrant family that have just moved in up the road um, and welcoming them to the neighbourhood. It's all of these mm-hmm. little acts that people can be doing as citizens that help to create really welcoming, connected communities at a grassroots level. So the big picture for us is really how, how we support that to scale. Yes. Um, we're, we're really uh, excited about the way that the, our approach to community building has been growing. Um, there's, more, there's increasing demand for different approaches to building community in place. And I think that that's emerging within a, a context where social isolation and loneliness is becoming more and more so on the public health agenda. So that's leading to uh, increased investment, increased opportunities for organisations like Befriend to be engaged in a community development role in, mm-hmm. in supporting local residents to take that ownership and responsibility for nurturing the sort of community that they want to live in. We're also really, really, uh, we're really strong collaborators and we know that if our ultimate purpose is about uh, tackling social isolation and loneliness, that no one organisation can do that. It requires a whole of system shift. So we really see that there could be value for the role that we serve in that system in creating some sort of a, a learning community that can support mm-hmm. all of the different uh, clubs, groups, associations, businesses, social service organisations, research institutions, uh, community builders to be part of some sort of learning commons where we're sharing not only you know, tips and, and all of this sort of stuff, but actually sharing designs mm. um, and, and really in-depth ways of working yeah. to nurture communities. So we've been kind of exploring conversations within the team about what it might look like for us to apply more of an open source mindset to the type of work that we do um, that really nurtures a, a sharing community in this space. Curtin's young alumni are emerging as the next generation of leaders, creators, game changers, innovators and more. So make sure you keep your details up to date with the alumni and community relations team so you don't miss out on exciting news and event information. And always tag Curtin Young Alumni when posting photos and stories on social media. Are you doing a big research project at the moment? and you're looking for candidates. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so one of the one of the interesting sort of experimental demonstration projects that we're undertaking is called Spark. It's based mm-hmm. in the Quinana area. So it's in partnership with a group of local residents, uh, the local council, a couple of community organisations, um, particularly those in the disability sector, um, and some researchers from UWA. And really what that project is about is exploring how the concept of contribution, uh, so something that a, a neighbour might a neighbour might make some sort of contribution to another neighbour. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how does how does that concept, if it plays out within the context of a local community, how does that support relationships to flourish? Mm. And particularly for where with that project, we're particularly interested in the experience of people who are often seen to be those who don't make a contribution to society. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at the experience of people with disability, we face all sorts of prejudice, discrimination and stigma and that are often perceived to be in 
let's say the the role of someone who needs help rather than the role of someone who can offer help Mm -hmm. then if people with disability are engaged as active contributors in their local neighborhoods they're making contributions to other neighbors uh, then what might happen to their social networks through mm. through that experience? Mm, okay. So the researchers are using a design process to really encourage the local residents to think through a whole range of different possibilities around what that could actually look like as a concept or as a service, as an app, as a piece of technology. Is that in its early stages at the moment? Yeah, the project, the project is, um, it's, it's still in its very early stages. The, a group of local residents um, participated in a series of design workshops uh, late in 2019. Mm-hmm. And so they're moving into a, uh, a prototyping phase cool. very soon um, where they're looking at how that concept might, if that, let's say it was embedded in the form of an app, then how might an app mediate these neighbour-to-neighbour exchanges in order yeah. to support social networks to build? As, is, is there anything in other countries that are sort of going down the same path as you guys? I mean, well, you don't have to tell me the names. You're just like, yeah, and they're sort of using these platforms. Well, interestingly enough, the, one of the, re, the lead researcher on that project, um, his name's Lukasz, and he's a Polish guy. So he, he uh, has actually only been based in Perth for about the last 18 months, two years. And prior to being here, he, um, he spent some time in Poland developing a piece of technology that really had served a very similar purpose. So it looked at how particularly older adults that were living in apartment complexes that had lots of barriers to actually accessing the community and were at quite a high likelihood of experiencing social isolation. Mm -hmm. He looked at how an app might mediate these contributions between other neighbours and support that older adult to build networks in the, with people in their local area through the exchange of small favours yeah, um, and cool. saw some great success through that initiative, um, published some research on that and is now, has now been looking at how you might be able to apply some similar methodologies in the Perth context cool. um, and has been working with us around what that might look like within the Quinana community and also what that might look like from the experience of people with disability. Yeah, that's, oh, that's interesting. In Poland, do they, how do people age there? I mean, it's an unusual question. In my head, I'm thinking, what does healthy ageing look like to the Polish uh, population versus the Australian population? Do we have different, do we have similarities, I suppose? Um, yeah, it's a really good question. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, but I think to, just as a very general comment, I know that really in so many different contexts around the world, mm-hmm. um, that there's this increasing concern about how the social service state can't support the social well-being needs that people have. And this uh, shift back to looking at how local community can mm. really support people to live and age well. Yes. And so I think the work that Lukash was doing there with Spark in its, uh, in its previous version was under a very similar sort of frame, looking at yeah, how um, ultimately um, social relationships are a huge part of well-being for people and those relationships can't necessarily come through a paid or formal service in the mm-hmm. same way that they will with the friendships and relationships that people build that are freely given. Yeah, I, I think... Um... I always find it really interesting that we live in, say, like a first world country like we do in, in the suburbs of Perth. And some of us might not really know our next door neighbours, but in other cultures, your whole family might live with you. So the Eastern culture are very popular <clears throat> for the, maybe the Asian and the African cultures. You have every generation living with you and you have that, almost that social connectedness. Um, could be 24-7. 
Um, and so when I've caught a couple of Ubers, and this is what I love about the um, service sharing um, applications, is you meet a variety of cultures that we're working, I suppose, across these apps. And um, the conversations I've had, I, I remember one family distinctly, they'd come from Ethiopia, they went to Esperance because they thought it would be a great, uh, an easier place to make uh, community and friends because it's a smaller population. And they had a couple of younger kids, but they found that it was harder and um, they felt like they were getting rejected quite often by their neighbours when they were getting invited to barbecues or when they were inviting people around to barbecues and play dates. And they ended up moving back to Perth and just making good friends with the Ethiopian culture or the Ethiopian community that's here. And the, the driver was saying, I just find it so hard to really blend, uh, not blend in, but blend across the cultures because you, as in me, the, the Aussie, didn't want to and I'm not Australian but that's another story you know he was like you you we live next door but we won't know each other and I said to him that is so interesting to me this conversation was before I knew about Friend. and I thought what are we doing wrong that we have I like for example I live in a set of townhouses and I now know all my neighbors but for the first five years I just hey good morning and not even how are you going or anything like that and then these these um two older retiree retiree couples moved in and they did the gardening and they were just so welcoming and they really broke those barriers just to be like oh do you need me to water your garden when you're away and I'm like oh that's so helpful thanks so much for doing that and it was just that little act of kindness or thinking about everybody else that really just opened up the doors you know there's 12 townhouses uh, sorry 11 including us 12 and then now we know everyone but five years of waiting around living within such close proximity to someone and not knowing them is actually hate it for the, for especially this Ethiopian man was that's so unusual that you don't know your neighbors right and I said do you know what it is and so I'd, I'd had that experience and in this conversation I thought oh that's really unusual that we don't so I suppose I'd really like I asked my friends do you know your neighbors and they're like I'd prefer not to so I think gosh what is it about our mentality that blocks us from wanting to have that um really good sort of neighbourhood or support within people who live that close to you. So we might leave it there because we could go down many rabbit holes today. I do have a final question for you before we wrap up today's episode. Um, We usually like to finish our episodes with a piece of advice or wisdom for our listeners. Is there anything else you'd like to share, perhaps for those interested in making positive social change but aren't sure where to start? Yeah, I've spent a lot, a, quite a lot of time reflecting on values-based leadership in the last year. And if I reflect on the different ways in which I've contributed to different types of positive social change, I really see that some of my core values have been at the core of that. They have been the drivers for me and they've also been my, I guess, my guiding points because... When I, when I personally experience a tension between something that I value and what I'm experiencing or an experience that I see, that's when I see there's opportunity for change. So I think for me, I, I wouldn't say that I was ever really driven to create positive social change in a generalised sense. I would say that I've been really driven to create a more inclusive world for people. 
And mm-hmm. so because that value of inclusion comes through so strongly for me, it doesn't mean that I'm an expert at it, but it means that it really matters to me. So I'm always trying to learn more about it, like what, what it takes to be really radically inclusive. Uh, and I'm always really attuned to different tensions where an experience isn't particularly inclusive or maybe isn't optimal for being really inclusive of all people. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that those have been my driving points for change. So the work that, that I've contributed towards in local communities has ultimately stemmed from thinking about what does it take for uh, us to really nurture a more inclusive experience for all people to actually be participating in community life and to have rich relationships. And even in recent history, our, a lot of my work within Befriend has actually been within the development of our organisation and its structure. And we realised that a lot of the different structures and ways of working actually within the organisation um, had been, had, I guess, drawn um, knowledge from a lot of traditional management theory, which actually isn't particularly inclusive when you really look quite closely at it. So yeah. in the last year, a lot, of that, a lot of my work internally has been actually really, really designing and redesigning with the team structures and ways of working that we believe are radically inclusive in the yeah, way that cool. we function as an organisation. So I don't think that there's any uh, necessarily easy way to go about bringing about positive social change in the world. But I guess what makes sense for me is to just really be quite close to my values and always be paying attention to when something is in tension with those values Mm -hmm. and considering what can I do about that. Do you have any um, good books or podcasts or anything that you've read uh, or listened to that really thought, oh gosh, this has been something that you know, it's a book you or a podcast you can go back to and listen to and review again and again. The one that I've been spending a lot of time on in the last few months is The Regenerative Business by Carol Sanford. And her work comes from this human development philosophical space uh, and is really painting quite a, a challenging, provocative picture about mm-hmm. how a lot of businesses and organizations are structured and how they function and really how that's come about so actually tracing the historical origins of business itself and looking at how a lot of the typical practices and structures functions of organizations uh, really undermine the development of humans Mm -hmm, um, and mm -hmm, and undermine mm -hmm. the development of our citizenry that's needed to make society work yes and so she's putting forward some really provocative ideas about how businesses can function differently in Mm -hmm. order to regenerate society oh i um, already have other questions about it but i won't ask them i did manage it one-on-one back when i was at in my curtain days and i felt exactly the same but like almost oppressed going into these workforces thinking i don't ever feel comfortable in bringing my ideas and these new things i think we could implement up and the way you've described it uh, is exactly how i felt as well so that's a really good recommendation and one i'm looking forward to to checking out thank you so much for your time this afternoon i appreciate that you've probably got a whole list of things to do today as well um if you've got any questions for nick you can always shoot the young alumni advisory board an email and we'll forward any questions on to nick um nick is there anywhere people can reach out to you if they've got any questions or any social media you'd like people to like for befriend yeah people are welcome to find befriend on social media or jump on our website it's befriend.org.au my details are on our site too on our team page so people are welcome to hit me up directly awesome thank you so much for your time this afternoon and thank you everyone for listening remember the conversation doesn't stop here 
The purpose of the Talks for Change podcast series is not only to hear about the incredible work our fellow alumni are doing, but also to get us inspired and connected to keep creating real change in the world. Don't forget to share this podcast with your community. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you guys next time. If you think that you or another Curtin graduate under 35 has an amazing story to tell or interested in being part of Talks for Change, drop us a line at youngalumni at curtin.edu.au.